Hi, welcome to the CFO Circle podcast powered by High Radius. For decades, finance has been considered the realm of men, even though women have always played an important role in this industry. While women from varying backgrounds have been making their headway and breaking into the conventionally male-dominated sector for quite a while, they remain underrepresented in the leadership roles. In 2021, the proportion of women in leadership roles within financial services firm was reported to be 24%, and it is expected to grow to only 28% by 2030, which is much below parity. Which is why today I'm joined by a very special guest who has broken the glass ceiling and has made it all the way to the C-suite at American Quotings Association. And today we'll talk about how women in finance and at finance organizations can work together to bridge this gap. Welcome to the show, Ilana. How are you doing? Well, thank you. I am so excited to have you here today. And before we get started, we'd like to hear about what your background has been, Ilana, and what has your journey to finance been like. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Great. Thank you. Um, well, my career has been non-linear. So, coming to the top, most people assume that if you do things in step, you know, one, two, three, four, that's how you get to the top. Um, I'm a good example of how your career can zig and zag and still um, move in in the direction that you wanted to go. I actually started my career in management consulting, you know, working alongside um, accountants and systems folks, uh, working in practices specifically for the office of the CFO and in financial management and business analysis. So I spent my time in a variety of different industries with a variety of different uh, clients um, implementing things such as large system implementations like SAP, uh, doing business process reengineering or um, activity-based costing and management. Essentially, this was financial planning and analysis or FP&A in the early days before it became quite prominent. And what we did was we worked with the finance organizations and a variety of clients to figure out how to do things better, more effectively, more efficiently, and um, less costly. Uh, those were the pre-FP&A days. Um, I then spent about a third of my career in industry, working for a variety of companies like Thomson Reuters and General Mills, where I worked directly in the finance organization under the CFO to um, not only put out the financial statements and all of the financial metrics, but to work with the various departments in the organization to help them make data-driven decisions. So I worked with marketing, uh, R&D, logistics, manufacturing, those kinds of things uh, to figure out how to uh, improve the performance of the organization. The last 10 years, I've been in the association space, in the not-for-profit space, in a, in a CFO capacity, uh, where I not only manage the finance and accounting team from the controller down, but I also work with my business peers across departments to find how we can uh, better provide for our members um, and make data-driven decisions. I work with the board, I work with senior management, and basically my role now is looking at long-term initiatives and supporting the association's um, efforts on behalf of its members. Amazing. That's that's great to hear. That's an enormous uh, career to look back. Congratulations on that. So uh, tell me, why do you think uh, there are such few women in finance? And I've quoted the numbers when we started off this interview already. But just to quote it back, you know, in financial firms, uh, the leadership roles that are with women is only at 24 percent. 
So why do you think that there are such few women in finance and fewer in leadership roles? I think the the issue here is a matter of generations. And I will say as a member of Gen X, um, I started my career in the days when women still wore bow ties and we had to wear suits um, and you wore skirts, not pants. So I'm, I'm still part of that old guard. I think you will see this trend reversing as Gen Z and the millennial generation continues to evolve, where the expectation is more of a gender-free and the expectation of parity is there. So I think that at some, you know, I'm 30 plus years into my career. And so I see fewer of my peers in senior leadership positions. And it's still a result of just our generation of women entering the workforce and having to decide the mommy track. Uh, that was something that was kind of researched a lot in the 80s and 90s. And, and women kind of jumping off of the professional career track in order to stop and have families um, because our generation was less about both the man and the woman uh, equal in the household and in, in raising children. That expectation isn't there for the newer generations. And the current generation that is now in their teenage years, the alpha generation, by the time they enter the workforce, the expectation of uh, gender issues, I think, will be greatly alleviated and you will start to see more parity in the senior levels. But unfortunately, for those of us in my generation and the generation that preceded mine, the boomer generation, uh, it's still been a very difficult hard slog. But as you start to see um, these elder, older generations retire and move on and make room, you will start to see more parity coming through. Uh, talking about parity, do you think that there is a pay gap when it comes to uh, how much women earn in finance versus men? That is a hard question to answer. I think when you get to my level and you're able to see the payroll and you're able to see salary bands with ultimate transparency, um, you do see a little bit of disparity. But again, um, it stems from a generational issue. I think the, the great value right now is the internet age where it is very easy to research um, what people are being paid, what the average salaries are. Um, I, again, I think that this will come to a head when Gen Z and millennials start to move into the mid ranks and to the senior ranks where they will demand what they are worth. I, I think those of us in the Gen X, we are afraid to negotiate. Um, some of us are a little bit more hesitant to rock the boat. And so that um, gender disparity in, in income and salaries is still prevalent. Um, but I think that as we, be, as women, as we become more informed, as we become more educated and we learn negotiation skills and we demand the respect, we demand our, that we are compensated for our worth, I think you'll see that, that gap uh, narrow. But I do see, uh, I do see it. I, I have been in positions where I know what my predecessor was paid. And then uh, I get into the position and I'm like, that, 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 this doesn't make sense. And you have to be willing to go to your management, go to your boss and say, this this cannot stand and um, I need to be paid what I'm worth. And I think when when that conversation is had, I think people are a little surprised, like, whoa, um, we made a mistake. We're going to correct that. Uh, so we need to be willing to, to stand up for ourselves and, and really demand that that gap disappear. Absolutely. You know, in fact, uh, as for an article, uh, by Stephen Miller's uh, on CBS uh, SHRM online. Um, the article uh, claims that gender pay gap uh, improvement slowed during pandemic. 
So according to the same article, it is expected that the gender pay gap might even uh, widen given the economic turmoil spurred by uh, COVID-19. So, you know, in your experience, how big has this pay gap been? And what is the right way to tackle it, right? Like you said that when you step into a role, you knew what your predecessors were making it and they were fixing it. But this is something or this is a discussion that at your level works. But then for people who are just growing, right? People at manager level, senior manager levels, what should they do to make sure that they're able to tackle and, you know, even figure out? Because you, you rightly say that today you can research how much a particular role is making online. But then it varies from industry to industry. How should one figure out what's one worth in terms of uh, you know, the pay uh, that they should be getting? So with the pandemic, we did see a lot of people having to focus um, internally, whether it's to care for elderly parents or to care for children or to care for a, an ailing spouse. So unfortunately, we still see women as being the, the caretakers, uh, the primary caretakers. So it's more likely that the, that you will see women kind of step off of the career track in order to handle children, aging parents, um, uh, you, whatever the situation is in the home life. It, it's still, I think, the prevailing winds um, where the woman has most of the burden of, of the home life, as, as disappointing as that may be. Um, so we did see a lot of women saying, I, I, need, to, I need to step down. Um, however, we are seeing that that is impacting uh, employers' abilities to keep their offices staffed and, and keep the, the wheels going. And so what we may see is an adjustment on salary, but an increase in other benefits um, in order to maintain that staffing. So we, what we've seen is uh, we may have to do, in order to keep people hired, given the increased supply chain issues, the increasing costs of, of life in the pandemic or post-pandemic, but we're going to add work-life balance, hybrid or fully remote uh, working or subsidies on childcare or other subsidies on elderly care. Um, and so there may be some trade-offs um, that have to happen in order for companies to retain female workers, but even just workers in general. Um, and so that's that's part of what the, what's happening here. But again, in order to prevent that, we need to know our worth. We need to do the research. We need to talk to our peers. We need to have salary bands be very transparent. And we need to be open and, and willing to create salary bands that are gender blind. And I think that um, most companies that are being impacted by the great migration, the great reshuffle, however you want to um, label it, and they realize if we're going to impact salaries, it has to be uniform. And we offset the decrease in salaries by finding other ways to um, provide for our employees. Because we are finding post-pandemic that we live, we work to live, not live to work. And so it's not now about work-life balance, but about life-work balance. Um, and so I think there is an opportunity here to increase negotiation to go back to our employers and restate what value we bring to the table and then negotiate. For some people, the, the monetary, you know, what pays the bills is very important. For others, it's the secondary benefits that are most important, healthcare, dental, uh, elder care, child care, um, transportation benefits, the ability to work from home, uh, subsidized uh, equipment, things like that. 
So we have to know what we want to negotiate for. And if it's not salary, what else is it? And then we have to also realize that as we move forward, it's as likely to be uh, you know, a, a female retention as it is just in general worker retention that we have to be focused on. There's one key thing that I want to highlight here since we've talked about how, um, how women in finance should be negotiating their salaries, be more aware, research well. I also want to talk about how does a gender diverse business benefit. Uh, there is a research by McKenzie and company that outlines that having a, a gender diverse business is likely to have 25% more financial returns. So is that something that you've seen? Uh, do you agree? I think it adds to uh, the variety of thought. You're, the more diverse your workforce is, the more likely you're going to have a, a variety of answers, solutions, um, opportunities to grow your business. When your workforce reflects your consumer base or your membership base or the, fo- the, you know, the people who are uh, being targeted by your product or your service, the more likely you, you are going to have success in the market because you're going to have the diversity of thought, you're going to have diversity of ideas, you're going to have a nice balance of competencies um, between the folks that are ideal and creative side versus those who are more on the execution side. So I, I think that the better the diversity on your teams, the better the success across the board. So I would agree with that McKinsey um, study, very much so. So I guess that is one of the reasons why organizations should encourage more uh, women and enable them for an accelerated growth uh, in their hierarchy. So they stay back and then, uh, you know, this thought process that, you know, different uh, genders bring to the table, they stay there for uh, the entire uh, hierarchy. I mean. Uh, if we look at the gap in availability of women at higher levels, then in that case, all the decisions that are being taken at a higher level are actually driven by one uh, one track of thought. So I that, agree. Uh, and, and the other part is is the building of the corporate culture, right? So in order for there to be parity, in order for women to feel like they are being listened to, that they are being promoted, and that they are their val- their contributions are being valued there's a couple of things that organizations need to do and i think one of the the really key ones and i see this a lot is aggressively stamping out weaponized incompetence and and this is um, well if you know i don't i don't know how to do this well you know, and you wait for that aggressive female to come in and fix it and we play a role oftentimes whether it's for the good or for the bad, where we come in and like roll up our sleeves and like I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna fix this, um, and and a lot of women spend time uh, doing things that others have left uh, or um, are waiting for you to come in and 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 fix, and you spend a lot of time doing project-based work, and then others take the credit for it. I I think that organizations that will succeed with gender parity are the ones that are going to build cultures that stamp out weaponized incompetence, that uh, make sure that things like mansplaining or restating a woman's ideas in a different way and then taking credit for them. These little um, these little things that, that um, they seem small, but over time they become very, very um, negative and they demoralize the women at the table. 
Um, the more we stamp that out, the more, one, men, men learn that we bring a lot of value to the table. We don't need to be talked over. We don't need to be restated. We don't need to be mansplained. We don't be, need to be relegated to housekeepers and, and do it, you know, uh, doobies, you know, people who are uh, going to do the work, whereas everybody else is going to take the credit. Um, those cultures that are able to, to stamp that out and to foster the fact that um, a woman's idea is fine exactly as she stated and that she should be the one taking ownership of it and everybody else should be lining up to do the work, those organizations are going to have um, uh, an advantage over organizations that allow this negative culture or this culture where women are not uh, given um, their due. I, I can't agree more being a woman myself. Um, you know, uh, Ilana, there's another thing that I want to talk about. So there is a multiplier effect in financial services firm wherein each woman added to a C-suite uh, leads to three more women added to uh, the seniorship, uh, senior leadership roles. So uh, in your experience and, you know, by looking around what you've seen in your career journey so far, what difference does it make to have a woman serve in the C-suite role um, and what does it mean for the other women who are growing up in the same organization? What is it to have a role model like? Well, I'm a little spoiled at the American Codings Association. Uh, women make up almost or, almost or more than half the workforce at the association. And for being in, a, in an industry or an association aimed at the chemicals industry, which is usually and usually perceived as a, a more male dominated, um, to have the association be almost 50% or more women is pretty interesting. Um, and on, in fact, our management team, our senior management team of the eight people on the team, six are women. Uh, and of the eight people, three are people of color. So I, I'm a little bit spoiled here at, at the association. Um, I think it's really positive that other women and even men see that women are in at the table, at the leadership table, um, that they the expectation is I, I want to seat at the table and if there's six of eight are women, then I have as much of a chance. At the same time, it should be clear to to the to the men who are coming up that this is not about leaving you out or excluding. It's about making sure that there's parity. Um, I will give an example of something that I did at my prior position where I worked for a think tank here in the Washington DC area. I was the chief financial and administrative officer and one of my responsibilities was recruiting for the research staff. And uh, one year we decided to do, we, we were complaining that we were just very male based and we just you know, I was one, only one person on the management team and I was doing, you know, finance and administration and kind of the housekeeping side of, of this organization. So one year we actually removed the names and um, any gender bias off of the resumes and off of the application package. And I gave every candidate a number and we ranked the candidates by number and the top three candidates were female. Uh, and we made three offers to three women, and that was the beginning of adding more women to the research staff at this very male-dominated um, think tank. Um, so it, 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 when that starts happening, and then all of a sudden, oh, I, I could have opportunities at this think tank that I wasn't really thinking about because they all see, you know, when I go to the website, it's all men, and now they're starting to see women. And so this gives incentive to apply 
two open positions. So when you start to see women in the leadership, if you go to the website and see leadership team, management team, the board of directors, and you start to see women, it, it takes the fear of applying. And I think that we still, as women, feel a little hesitant or maybe um, insecure about applying for certain jobs because, oh, I, I, I don't know if I, could, if I could fit in there. I don't know if I could do the job. You absolutely can and you absolutely will fit in. Uh, you have to take that leap. So as we start to see more and more women in senior management positions, it, it gives women the confidence to start applying and you'll start to see the aperture of qualified candidates widen. Um, and we will start to see more women in areas that were traditionally male dominated, not because it's a male dominated industry, simply because nobody wanted to take the chance and 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 risk failure. So I, I, I agree with that multiplier effect and it, it has to do with the optics of seeing people who look like you. We see this in, in, in the movie industry where we're seeing many ethnicities that we wouldn't have normally seen in movies have leading roles. And what that says is, hey, I see my superhero and I see people who look like me. Um, and so we see it on the, in the movie industry uh, and we see the diversity of movies that are coming out in the last year or two. And we will start to see the same thing in business when we start to see online and at meetings and in situations like this, people who look like me, uh, whether it's male, female, um, ethnicities, color of skin, um, those kinds of things, we will see more diversity. So uh, tell me this, uh, in the last two decades, what steps have you taken across or maybe you've seen your leaders take at different points that has helped to bridge this gap to some extent and what do you think can be done better? Uh, looking at gender blind uh, was one thing. Um, really hiring for, for capabilities and skills versus the school or the major um, or the path. Um, understanding that folks with diversity of path um, having uh, different ex work experiences, having um, different perspectives, valuing that difference is going to be very important. I also think that um, getting to equality and parity depends on training. It, um, it depends on providing flexibility, uh, not just for women, but for all staff members. So whether it's work from home versus hybrid versus, you know, all in office, um, it's, it's looking at uh, what our marketplace looks like. So we're looking and seeing younger, um, um, younger couples or um, the changing in our, in our um, consumer base. We need to reflect that in senior management. Um, I think, again, this goes back to generations. I, I have two children. I have a 19-year-old and a 15-year-old, a 19-year-old girl and a 15-year-old boy. And as a Gen Xer who had to kind of fight her way through and, and really rise based on my own skill set, I wanted to make sure that my children have the skills to be independent adults regardless of gender. So my daughter knows how to change a car tire and how to maintain the yard. My son knows how to wash dishes and do laundry. Uh, and vice versa, right? So I have trained my children, I raised my children, um, that they are equally capable of being independent, um, self-sustaining adults. So that when they meet their future mates and, and girlfriend, boyfriend, roommates, uh, housemates, whatever you want, they're going to look for people who are going to value that. Um, and so that's why I think that in you know when the alpha generation with their teenagers right now, when they become adults, they will look back at the boomers and Gen Xers and think, 
that's crazy. I can't even imagine a world where it was expected that a woman would be making the coffee or cleaning up after a meeting or would be the one who has to race back to attend a, a, a child's concert. They will look at it as, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't believe that I wouldn't be expected to have the same standards or be held to the same standards as a woman or as a man. Um, so I, I think that the gender imbalances will be a, another generation away from being more parity. Um, but it, it will take the boomers and the Gen Xers um, kind of moving, progressing through the ranks and, and creating opportunity for those subsequent generations. Uh, thank you, Ilana. I think all of your insights have been really interesting. And I'm sure that our listeners are going to, you know, leverage a lot from it, especially, you know, being aware of what they should be paid for internet researching across all industries at all levels, you know, um, maybe going and asking their managers that, hey, uh, what, do, what do you think can I do better? And what do you think can I do to make sure that, hey, my salary sees the right up high? Uh, I think those of those things would be really helpful. And since we are coming to the end of this episode, uh, I would want you to also share your parting thoughts or tips uh, for all the women in finance, students wanting to have a career in finance and, you know, hoping to be in a C-suite level at some point. So what would that, uh, you know, one tip, two tip, any number of tips that you'd like right. to give? I think, I think the number one thing is always be learning. So it, it, I, the number one thing is what you bring to the table. So in order for you to maintain parity or exceed parity, you should always be learning. So if you want to move into high finance or corporate finance, operational finance, strategic finance, whatever kind of finance it is, learn as much as you can about it. Find out uh, what your local chapter of the CFO Leadership Council is and join it. Um, find your controller's council, your state or local CPA organization, um, professional networking, whether it's the women's networking group or anything of professional interest. LinkedIn is a great resource. Um, start following the companies that are interesting to you. Start following leaders who are um, who are of interest to you. Um, always be reading. Uh, a lot of these fintech, High Radius is one. A lot of these fintech organizations provide a lot of free research and free publications. Download them, read them, learn, ask questions, go to the conferences, go to the seminars, meet your peers, um, start networking. I know that networking kind of has a, a negative connotation. It feels a little bit funny to be schmoozing or sucking up, but it really isn't. It is about building connections. It's about building your personal brand. So when people um, hear the name Alana Estrich or Madarima Gupta, they know, I know where she's coming from. I know what she's capable of. I know what she can talk about. Um, and then people start knocking on your door. Hey, I heard you say something at a meeting and I want to follow up on it. Hey, you made a good comment on a virtual meeting and I would like to hear more. And so always be learning, um, get out of your comfort level, meet people and, and, and acquire those skills that are needed. So if in your organization there is a, a blank spot or a blank area, find out how you can fill it and add value back to your organization in that area where they had a blank space. So always be learning, always be adding value and know your worth. Thank you so much for your time today for this uh, podcast. And I am so thrilled that a lot of uh, young uh, leaders that will we'll have at some point in time in the future, they're going to learn a bunch from this episode. And I'd like to thank you once again for taking the time 
and uh, for our listeners out there stay tuned we'll be back with more